You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Today we are finishing off uh, the book of 1 Timothy, this first of the pastoral epistles. And Lord willing, later on this year, or later on, I should say, not quite sure when, we will be then looking at 2 Timothy, and after that, Titus at some point. It may take us a while to get there. Um, and so we're finishing this off after Christmas. You may be able to think back to before Christmas, perhaps not, but uh, you might know the context or remember the context that there's been this mighty work of God in Ephesus and the whole region of Ephesus as Paul has preached the gospel uh, in the midst of that pagan society. And there's been this extraordinary work of God. For two years he preached, and, and Luke says in Acts that the whole of Asia has heard the word of God. Vast numbers of conversions, people coming to Christ out of paganism. But then we, we see that there's this satanic counterattack as false teachers are infiltrating the church. The persecution didn't come from, from the outside, but from within the church. And Paul writes to Timothy to charge him to stay in Ephesus and to preach the gospel and to as well, set things in order and deal with this, this problem of these false teachers. Sometimes people read the pastoral epistles and, and consider all the exhortations that there are for Timothy to be strong in, in the Lord. And, we, and people have suggested that he was rather a timid character. Well, the reality isn't that, that he was particularly timid. It was just the vastness of the scope of the work that he had there, overseeing these vast churches, these spreading churches, with the scale of problems and the attacks which came upon him. He needed the grace of God to stand. Well, we come uh, to, the, to the end of the letter. It's all about God has established his house, his church uh, in Ephesus and uh, and there's lots about the, the, the household of, of God and how we're to behave in the household of God but we come to the, the end Paul brings the, the letter to a close with a, a series of exhortations to, to Timothy he's been giving instructions about um, in, in the previous section about those um, who desire to be rich and he's giving instructions about uh, contentment and uh, he's given warnings about the love, love of money. And then he comes into these final exhortations to uh, Timothy. And you might think where it says, Amen, at the end, is the end of, a, end of the letter, and that that would be a good place to finish. Uh, there's a sort of a PS, another paragraph, that we will get to uh, this evening, Lord willing. But hear these words, hear the word of God. But as for you... Timothy, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called 
and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul has started with doxology, he's ending here with doxology. And so it's a final rallying charge for Timothy, and it's a good rallying charge for ministers of the gospel. We are in the, in the firing line here. Uh, but it's a good charge for uh, Christians, for Christians. Um, so, but Paul starts here with this, this threefold charge in verses uh, 11 to 14. So there's um, an an eth sorry, 11 and 12, there's, he starts with an ethical charge and then there's a doctrinal charge and then there's a, a, an experiential charge. And then he, he sort of stands back and gives a really a reason for that charge. He brings in God as uh, the witness and Christ and he really brings in all the, these things as, as motivations and encouragements for Timothy. And then he moves through into this doxology. So we're going to simply look through his charge uh, this morning. But he starts, but you, man of God, this title used of prophets of old, used of Moses and Elijah, of those who speak uh, a word from God, used for Timothy here as a preacher of the gospel, as a mature man of God. You think of a, a man of God as a mature Christian or a man or a woman of God. And Timothy, he's exhorted to flee from various things and then exhorted to pursue various things. That first uh, imperative he has is just simply flee these things. Well, what things? Well, those are the things he has just been talking about. The love of money and everything that is uh, associated with that envy and slander and all of that. He is to run away from that and flee these things. But in a characteristically Pauline fashion, he is to flee some things and pursue other things. Think of Paul saying, you put off the old man, put on the new man, flee this and pursue this. And there are, um, he's exhorted to pursue at virtue and he lists six virtues to be pursued, six character traits to, uh, for us to develop areas of our holiness and sanctification. First off, pursue righteousness. Pursue what is right. What is right and what is wrong is established in God's word of truth. Um, and it's held out to us in the scriptures by precept, by example, and we are to pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, this great theme in the book of 1 Timothy, that practical godliness we've seen, practical godliness which uh, cares for our 
families and extended families, a practical uh, godliness which um, is just given out in good works. And then faith, uh, trust in God and love. So these uh, virtues we are to put on and uh, steadfastness as well. And I think that this coming year and these years are wonderful opportunities for us to grow in these uh, virtues, to grow in uh, steadfastness and uh, steadfast endurance in the face of difficulties, uh, to grow in faith. Some of you need to be learning to trust God in the midst of uncertain situations. Uh, we need to grow in love. Jesus said, love one another. That great command for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And uh, we're called to love one another. These virtues for us to grow in. And then lastly, gentleness. And I love this, pursue gentleness. It's a strange combination, isn't it? People pursue many things, pursue wealth, pursue success, pursue all sorts of things. Not so many people are pursuing gentleness. Uh, gentleness, patience with difficult people, patience with uh, uh, erratic people, pa gentleness and patience. We need great strength and God's help to be gentle, we need to pray for each other, to be growing in these virtues. So here are some things to flee and things to pursue. Well, the next exhortation is, is really doctrinal. It's about truth. Fight the good fight of uh, the faith. At the end of the letter, um, Timothy talks about those false teachers who've wandered away from the faith. He talks of Timothy guarding the good deposit. So when he's saying fight the fight of the faith, he's talking about Timothy defending the actual truth of the historic apostolic gospel the death and resurrection of Christ. And remember the false teachers back to the beginning, they, they were teachers who, they, they wanted to be teachers of the law, but they didn't actually have a clue what they were talking about. So he's talking here about defending uh, historic, biblical uh, Christianity. Defending that fight, the good fight of the faith. Now, earlier in the letter, he's, he's used a similar expression. He said, like, wage the good warfare. Here uh, is a similar but different expression and it's also the it's different in the in the original the actual um the language there and, and the fight the good fight uh, the word there is um the word from which we get the, the english word agony so it's agonizomai um which can be either translated fight the good fight or run the good race and paul brings these things together um in 2 timothy when he affirms that he has fought the good fight and finished the race so we see He's charging Timothy to fight the good fight, to contend for the truth of the gospel, expecting that that is going to be difficult, uh, agonizing. Um, and he talks about his own ministry in, this, in these terms, that, that in the book of Colossians, where he's talking about um, we proclaim Christ and, and wrestling or agonizing with all the energy which God works in him. For Paul, this gospel ministry involved a struggle and a fight, and that's what he calls Timothy to, that's what he calls gospel ministers to, that's what he calls all of us to. And, and, Paul, and in Colossians as well, you, remember, you may remember he mentions um, Epaphras, who was always wrestling 
in prayer, same word. And so this encompasses for, for Timothy, it's the, the ministry of the word of God and of prayer, this intense struggle to make the truth of God known as he strengthens us. This truth is precious. It needs to be contended for and guarded, guarded in the face of the false teaching, which is multiplying all around in the ancient world and in our modern day. So it's essential for the health and life and growth of our church that we hold fast to the apostolic gospel and not wander away from ourselves. And we are, Michael, myself, and all of us charged to, to, to watch our lives and our doctrine closely. That is the, the charge that Paul lays on us. Well, the third exhortation there is to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. So eternal life is both uh, a present reality and a future, future reality, future destination. So in John 17, 3, Jesus in his high priestly prayer prays this. He says, and this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is about knowing our creator. It is about knowing Christ. Christ Jesus who himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So eternal life is not just about some endless existence. If you, heard, you may have heard people say, well, uh, I, you know, heaven sounds rather boring, you know, just endless existence. What are we going to do? Uh, but actually, eternal life is about knowing our creator, and that's a present reality. And Paul charges Timothy to, to grab hold of it. It sounds rather, well, he's been a Christian for many years, but he's told to hold on to this eternal life, to, to enjoy it, and not to be distracted from his calling to know Christ, both now and into the future. Reminded of um, Pilgrim's Progress and, and Christian running through Vanity Fair with his hands over his um, ears, looking, saying, life, life, eternal life. So here then is Paul's threefold charge to Timothy. It's both ethical, fleeing from evil, pursuing goodness, doctrinal, turning from error to fight for the truth, and experiential, laying hold of eternal life that he has already received. And I thought um, John Stott was very helpful at this point in his commentary. He said this, he said, it is good in our relativistic age to have truth, goodness, and life set before us as absolute goals. They also constitute a healthy balance. Some fight for truth, but neglect holiness. Others pursue holiness but have no comparable concern for truth, yet others disregard both doctrine and ethics in their search for religious experience, the man or woman of God combines all three. I thought that was very helpful uh, sort of balance there. And I think I, I was struck with this is just how Christocentric this is. When we think of that list of virtues, it is Christ who embodied those virtues. Christ was gentle. Christ was the man of truth. He loved. So Christ embodies all these virtues. Christ himself has the eternal life. So as, as we look at these commands, really at the heart of it 
is laying hold of Jesus Christ and enjoying our fellowship, our union, our communion with Christ. And as, as Paul continues, we, we see how Christ-centered this is. He makes this charge. He says, uh, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Well, what was the confession about? The confession says, well, it's about eternal life. The confession is about Jesus Christ. That is what the confession was about. Sometimes we use uh, the word confession when we're talking about confessing our sins. Literally, the word confession means to, to say the same thing as. So we, we talk about that as when we confess our, confess our sins. God uh, says that, that we are sinful and, and we're saying, yep, I confess my sins. I'm saying the same as God. And as we confess Christ, so the reality is Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we confess him as Lord, we are saying the same as that. We are saying, yeah, Jesus Christ, he is Lord. This is uh, the great confession. So Timothy's confession is um, of Christ. And we'll come, we'll come back to that in a minute. But if you look at um, verse 13 onwards, he says, there's this charge. I charge you, verse 13, to keep the commandment, verse 14. And that's just, a, I think, a summary and a pushing home of everything he's charging him in this whole letter. Um, and, he's, and he then charges Timothy to, to keep this uh, commandment unstained. But then he charges him, notice, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things. He brings God in as a witness. He's really just adding weight great weight to what is going on, to this confession, to this charge, to the importance of Timothy's obedience. He's bringing God in uh, as a witness. It's a bit like um, in, a, in a marriage service, if you, if you know the old uh, prayer book, Marriage Service, there's a, a line like this. It says, dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God and in the face of this congregation to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Okay, so he's saying, I charge you in the presence of God. He's saying what is happening in Timothy, his life is a life for with great significance, his confession of Christ, his obedience, his call, his end, all this matters. And he draws in the witness of God uh, Almighty. And it's just, it just feels the, the, the weight of this. We live in many, so many ways in a very weightless culture where there, there is no God above us. Above us only sky, many believe. And, and what we do ethically doesn't matter. And what you believe doesn't matter. We live in this kind of weightless culture where we can do whatever we want, but none of it matters. And do you see just the weight of this? There's this charge of Timothy, this Christian man, his life matters. His confession of faith matters. And that is true for every believer in Jesus Christ. We confess our faith before the presence of God. We live out the Christian life before the face of God Almighty and in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Well, Christ made uh, that good confession um, 
before Pilate. You remember before, before the high priest, uh, he'd been asked, you know, uh, are you the Christ? And he'd confessed, that I am. And then he's drawn before Pilate. And uh, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, well, you have said it. <laughs> That's his confession. He's not contradicting Pilate. He's not saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not the king of the Jews. Um, he's, he's taking it. And then in John's gospel, we see further, he adds to that talks about the fact that his kingdom is not from this world, saying that well, he has an authority over this world, but his kingdom, his authority is derived from God the Father. Uh, so he acknowledges before Pilate that he is king. His confession comes just before he dies. To confess Christ meant the cross. And that was the case for many in the ancient, in the ancient world, wasn't it? They confessed Christ and that had been marked out for a cross, for martyrdom. In the first century, we don't know what happened to Timothy, but many would confess Christ and confess that Jesus is Lord and they wouldn't make the confession that, that the state demanded them at that time that Caesar was Lord and take that pinch of incense and confess that Caesar was the, on the place of highest authority. Uh, they confessed Jesus Christ is Lord and that had them marked out as martyrs. And they were thought to be fools, but they made their good confession in the presence of God Almighty. Um, and so Timothy, as he makes this good confession, he is um, just following Christ. He's, he's essentially, Christ made this good confession, and Timothy is saying, yeah, it's saying what, what he said. What he said, I agree with Christ. And that's the, the heart of the gospel message is about the identity, the person of Jesus Christ. So if you're considering the gospel message, if it's new to you and you don't understand it, it is Jesus Christ and his identity that you must consider. Who is he? Why did he come? What does he demand? Those are the questions to consider. And you remember Peter, he, he, he was tempted and he, he said, well, I don't know the man. He, he walked into darkness, but then later confessed Christ. And we are called to confess our faith in Christ, and we are called to confess that publicly. Paul puts it like this in, in Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9. He says, um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's talking about the importance of confess confessing Christ. So um, in, in our modern age, we, we, we typically think of the sort of secular humanist framework that it's, you know, it's what's in your heart that matters and that's between you and God and a public confession of faith uh, doesn't really matter. I remember we were um, visiting one, one school and, and Lucy's much bolder than me with this. She, she asked the, the head teacher, uh, uh, what, um, what's your faith? And, and the teacher replied, well, I couldn't, couldn't possibly talk about that. That's only between me and, and my very closest friends. So faith has been shrunk to this sort of very private thing between you and God. But that is never the Christian faith. It is about believing in your heart uh, that God raised Christ from the dead. It is about believing in your heart and knowing Christ. Um, but it's also about being public about it, confessing your faith. And yet it doesn't need to be complicated, does it? But actually saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. And sometimes the Lord engineers circumstances so that we have to confess our faith. So, you know, someone, if you, you may have had this, someone said to you, are you religious? Are you? And to, uh, to which the answer is, um, well, I'm a Christian. Um, 
And, and that is, it's an opportunity to confess your faith. When I was at school, um, there were, I think, one or two other Christians. We didn't really, um, didn't really know each other. But one chap I remember, um, he was slightly, the, he was a Christian. And when, when people asked him if he was a Christian, he said um, he would grab him by the lapels, shove him up against the wall, and said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you think that's funny? And he would sort of threaten them with physical violence, which I don't think was quite the idea, really. But confessing your faith, it was, yeah. I wonder what happened to him. Hopefully he's still valiant for the, for the truth. Um, so, but confessing our faith together, and that is what um, secular humanist framework we're supposed not to do. We want to keep our faith indoor and just do it in here and in private and not go out into the public square and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and live for him uh, boldly in public. Um, but the Christian faith is a public faith, isn't it? And so that's why we meet together. We, we are publicly declaring our faith in Christ together. So as you have opportunities to do that, um, I encourage you, as I encourage uh, myself, to be bold um, in these things. So Paul has uh, laid this charge uh, on Timothy. He reminds him that he's a Christian, that he stands uh, with Christ. And so that as the, the, the sufferings and the difficulties and the hardships which come upon him as a Christian and as a pastor, uh, as they come upon him, is, is to remember Christ. As he bears a heavy load, he has to remember Christ who bore the cross. And as he looks to difficulties, he knows that he endures those in fellowship with Christ. And so, yeah, Christians down the ages have made that good confession. Paul's words to Timothy to really to encourage him to see his ministry in the context of this bigger reality, the reality of God and of Christ. Um, and then he speaks about uh, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, keeping the commandment unstained, free from reproach, until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died and rose and reigns on high. We make our vows in the presence of God. We live out the Christian life in the presence of God. We, we argue and fight and gossip in the presence of God. We confess our sins in the presence of God. But Christ, in all his glory and majesty, is hid from our eyes in realms unknown. We do not see him as we will see him. And Paul looks forwards here to the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, his returning glory, when we will see Christ face to face. And so our lives now are lived in fellowship with Christ, and, and, and then we look forwards to his appearing, which um, Paul says he, God, will display at the proper time. God is working out his purpose for our world, working out his purposes for the consummation of all things. It has not yet come, but it's still future. God yet to work these things out. The proper time when Christ appears, that will be the healing of all our sorrows and the wiping away of every tear. He has not yet come, but we look to his appearing and we trust our lives into the sovereign hands of the living God. So Paul adds this great weight to his charge, a weight to an ordinary life lived for Christ that we have in many ways lost sight of in our culture. 
Um, and so um, we come to the doxology at, at, at the end of the letter, or nearly the end of the letter, that he will display at the top proper time, he who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the king of kings and the lord of lords. Uh, there were many powers, many rulers that they lived amongst in the ancient world, just as there are many powers, many lords uh, that we live amongst today. But that God is sovereign over them all. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the book of Revelation ascribes that to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He alone has immortality. Uh, he is the source of life. He gives life to us. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is utterly holy, whom no one has ever seen or can see. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. To him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. And so he, Paul just encourages Timothy, who's got to, to live out the Christian life, he's got to hold out the gospel, encourages him in a polytheistic world with lots of religions, lots of different ideas, that there is one true God. He, he shows him the exclusive claims of the living God, the one who is the source of life, to encourage him in the midst of trouble and difficulty, and that his dominion is an everlasting dominion. The kingdoms of this world come and go. The Roman Empire came and now has crumbled into dust. But God's kingdom endures forever. So there's this great contrast in the ancient world between this pagan system and uh, the, the living God and the gospel. Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper um, put it like this. He said, do not forget that the fundamental contrast has always been is still and always will be until the end Christianity and paganism, the idols or the living God. So in the midst of a, a relativistic West, in, in, in a West world which in some ways is coming unstuck at the moment, where so many things are unstable, we are called as the Church of Jesus Christ to build our lives on the rock of, our, of Christ and confessing Christ and his word. We are called to honour the true and living God and to build our lives upon him and upon the truth of his word to seek uh, truth to seek holiness to seek and lay hold of eternal life and so that is uh, in the in your various struggles to live out the Christian life and difficulties remember these things remember that you do these things in the presence of God Almighty in the presence of Christ who made uh, the good confession and in the anticipation of his appearing again in glory. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk. For more, thank you.